Welcome to the Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary. It is Super Bowl week. It is fight week. It is trade deadline week in the NBA. And it's the time after the all-star game in hockey. Either way, it's very busy right now. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Oh, also, the good Olympics are going on. So a lot happening in the world of sports right now. We're talking about all of it in the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is a locally owned commercial and residential cleaning company who specializes in commercial cleaning from shared workspaces and commercial buildings to medical clinics, retail stores, production facilities, and high-rise building maintenance. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. We affiliates, y'all. So going to be doing a lot more on there. Uh, you can email the show, Diary at yahoo.com. And uh, yeah, the music that you were listening to, it's probably over by now, um, it is Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X is where the A's would be. They got some great stuff out now. You can find their producer on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. So we got some hockey, basketball, some more hockey, some football, and then some face punching to close the show today. So we will start with the world of hockey, as last night was a weird one in the hockey world. You, you have the night off in the NBA, or sorry, in the NHL, and women's hockey has the opportunity to take center stage. Extremely late out here. Time zone's killing us with the Olympic thing. Um, and then it went even later, because you had Canada not thrilled that they hadn't received the COVID test results for the Russian Olympic athletes yet. And Russia was just like, ah, hey, don't worry about it. Let's just, we'll just play on and it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And Canada's like, well, hey, maybe um, since you guys don't have the best record with tests, but let's just wait this one out. And so the compromise is made that they will play with masks on instead. Just such a strange situation. And it really, it really does show that while there's a lot of surface level stuff that we can do. And there's kind of a, 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 almost a format for this at this point, right? Like there is a, okay, we're going to test. And if X, Y, and Z happen, then we'll do one, two, and three. And if A, B, and C happen, then we'll do four, five, and six and on and on and on and on and on. But when like any kind of weird shit pops up, like if you take even the slightest detour off of the main path, no one knows what the hell we're doing. Because we're all just making things up as we go along. And none of nowhere is that more clear than at the Olympics and with the International Ice Hockey Federation, right? Like th those are two organizations that are just like, hey, we're making millions upon millions. And in the IOC's case, billions upon billions of dollars. Don't know how, but we're just going to keep rolling with it. And when there's something where an actual decision has to be made, where like corruption isn't involved and it's not just, okay, well, let's just go to the highest bidder. You can kind of see the, oh, in their voices a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry if that just got really loud. I tried to back away and I just woke my cat up. But you can see where there's panic involved. And you could see, like, they're, they're, no one had a clue what they were doing last night. And I, I thought the, like, the real takeaway for me was when they have to deviate to anything that's not just in their set template, IOC, I, uh, IIHF, no idea what they are doing. But a big win for Canada. They come up against the United States tonight. It is unfortunate that there have been injuries on both sides of that one because you just want to see, you just want to see both sides at their peak going into a game like this. But unfortunately, a lot of the coverage during the day around women's hockey was in an article by the Toronto Star. Um, once again, the super hot take that because it's not competitive, women's hockey should not be in the Olympics. And now I want to, 
I want to make a couple of things abundantly clear. One, I'm not going to say who wrote it because I don't deserve the time of day. Two, and this is this is always something that I caution against, and it's always something I don't like doing. I, but I'm going to comment on this without having read the article. A, because we've heard all the tired arguments a thousand times. And B, that I, I like to support things that deserve support. That did not deserve support. And while I do believe that everyone should listen to things that they don't agree with and read things that they don't agree with, agree with whether it be political, whether it be in sports, whether it be whatever, just... A, for a number of good reasons, that so we don't have to get into them. But I, I do believe that there should be an aspect of don't just stay in your own echo chamber. But this is one that is just so stupid that it doesn't deserve any type of support or any type of click. And there was enough people clicking on that to see it. But it's just so... It's so short-sighted. A, it's lazy. It's just lazy writing from a writer who isn't good enough to actually generate any type of reads or any type of uh, type of clicks or any type of interest without going to just like some easy copy and paste. Oh well, it's women's hockey. <laughs> it's pathetic. It, it it just it really is pathetic that it's it's just a, a writer who comes up with uh, a tired subject that the arguments are all out of date, but doesn't realize that they're all out of date because they just have to go to a template to try to get any kind of attention because they're desperate for attention because they're not good enough to get it on their own. The short-sightedness of all of this, especially around women's hockey, and this was something that I was talking about in my, uh, what turned out to be final days at my previous employer, like, this is, women's sports, is it something that makes a whole lot of money right now? No, but it's not as bad as the people who go, oh, well, see, it's not going to make money, why would anyone put anything into it? Which is, again, the short-sightedness of where we're at in 2022. You invest in women's sports, that investment is going to pay off in spades. I, I firmly believe that. And it is such an underutilized market right now. And which is, it's kind of gross to talk about women's sports as just like a, a market or an asset. But that's, that, that is how a lot of these people who are, are in these positions look at it. So let's look at it the way they do. You have an area right now, like... Very few new Flames fans are getting created. Very few new basketball fans are being created. This is why MMA um, and the UFC in the uh, the late 2000s and 10s, whatever we're calling those, like from like 2008 to 2011, 2012, they were saying the UFC, the fastest growing sport in the world. Yeah, it's because no one's going like, wait, what's this football thing? Like we've kind of established these. So you're, you're not going to have remarkable growth in these areas. And in fact, we are seeing in almost every sport, ratings are down everywhere. You have an industry and you have a section of sports that's A, really fucking good, and B, so underutilized that you can just, if you are, whether you're a radio station or a television station, or you are a publication or anything like that, or... Just, like, just someone who is investing in sports, you have an opportunity to just create an audience and create revenue out of thin air. Because when you put women's sports on TV, people watch. When you write about women's sports in a positive light, people will read it. And if you continue to boost this, that is an audience that has so much growth potential just because it hasn't been exposed the same way that men's sports have been. And there's so many other human interest stories that go into that. It's just, it is such short-sightedness to just, oh, well, women's sports doesn't make any money. Who cares? And then the just absolute dumbassery to suggest that because women's hockey right now isn't the most competitive. We're waiting for Canada and the USA. We all know we are. 
then, okay, well, the sport's not having around. As if we should have canceled fucking basketball after the 1992 Dream Team steamrolled everyone. You know what that ended up being? Really goddamn good for basketball. Because you had all these people from all over the world seeing Michael Jordan and seeing the, the Dream Team just go in and seeing what is possible with this sport and seeing the high level that that sport can be played at, it turned out to be globally fantastic for the sport. And I'm not comparing Marie-Philippe Pelletin to Michael Jordan, but we have seen over and over and over again, these smaller nations are improving. It is, the problem is so is Canada and the USA. And so it, it, it is tough to catch up when the other two aren't staying stagnant. They're competing with each other. So they're making themselves better. So it's, it's, it's different from um, basketball in that sense, where Team USA in basketball didn't really have uh, a Team Canada, Team USA dynamic like they do in hockey, so they're not pushing themselves to get better, they're just like, yeah, we're the best, and th that's where you saw a bit of a down period, and then Australia and Spain and those countries were, were able to catch up a little bit. In women's hockey, you are clearly seeing an improvement in places like Finland, places like Russia, you have seen an investment in it in places like China. Is it the most competitive thing? No, it's not. But if we were to just cancel the PGA because Tiger Woods wasn't letting anyone win, anyone win, that would be ridiculous. We're allowed to grow things in 2022. I get that everyone, it's just, it has to be, everything has to make millions of dollars or else it's not worth it. And it has to be the most competitive, most interesting, most everything, or else it's not worth putting on. Sometimes you're allowed to grow sports. And I think the, the pandemic era had the potential to be very, very good for women's sports. And in a lot of ways, it has been. The problem is in the one area where it hasn't been, has been in women's hockey, because it's it just seems like it's been, it's been growing, but it's been two steps forward and then one step back. And it's not all the forward momentum that you want. There certainly has been growth. But where the change needs to come is all the way at the top. And the, the most glaring example is the women's under 18 tournament getting canceled when they gave it everything they had to get the men's one going. If you want to make this sport competitive, you have to actually, again, the word of the day, invest in it. Invest in this sport and make sure you have these under 18 tournaments and you have these opportunities for these nations to test themselves against the best and see where they're at and see where they need to improve. It's not just get rid of the whole thing. That's lazy and it's just stupid. And that's like, it's just, it's so frustrating that we are still at this part in the year of our hockey gods, 2022, that people are still saying, oh, the games aren't competitive, so it doesn't matter. So just like, get the fuck out of here. If all of a sudden, like Sean White in, in all of his glory or whatever, I'm not as great on the winter sport. So like say Jennifer Jones is cruising in, in curling for a while. We didn't just cancel the Scotties. The, the same rink has won the, the Scotties three years in a row. We're not going to stop it because, oh, well, it's not competitive. These other teams just don't have a chance. No. That's stupid. I don't know why you would think it would be any different in women's hockey. I, I hate that argument. I've always hated that argument. We need to continue to invest in this sport and help it grow instead of just trying to, to tear it down. And anything, any suggestions to the contrary is just stupid and lazy. Speaking of, we move to the NHL where Peter Shirelli is getting another job interview. Look, that Boston Bruins team that he was able to assemble... 
will go down as one of the all-time teams. And you get one of the greatest free agent signings in the history of the league with Zidane Chara going to the Boston Bruins, and they are able to ride that wave in a battle that many thought was good over evil as the Boston Bruins were able to beat the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I, I would suggest delay the analytics movement by about five years and win a Stanley Cup. But what he has done since then is just straight dog doo-doo. And so the, the thought that he can come in and clean up the Chicago Blackhawks mess, uh, a mess that, like, only Clearwater Cleaning Solutions could clean up. See? Look at that. Little plug. It's, it, it's, it, I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how this guy can continue to get looks. And look, everyone should, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to have a job. It's just not one of the 32 general manager jobs in this league. If you want to make him an advisor, maybe. If you just want a voice in the room to let you understand what not to do, then sure, by all means. Uh, but I just, I don't get how you can be, and th there is an aspect of due diligence and, and all of this. And so I, again, I understand, I, I kind of understand, but with him, I just don't like that. There's, there is nothing redeemable about anything that he has done in the last 10 and a half years to make you think that this is someone who you should be giving opportunities to. I, I don't get it, but if the Blackhawks hire him, they deserve him for a number of different reasons. In the NBA, uh, we are approaching trade deadline season. And the thing that I keep coming back to is, did Kevin Durant really just sell his soul for those championships in Golden State? Because this is such a strange situation. He wins, he wins a title a couple of times with the Golden State Warriors. And then he is a free agent. It's clear he's not going, going back to Golden State. Everyone thinks he's going to the Knicks. Instead... He and Kyrie team up and decide they're going to go to Brooklyn. At the time, I don't even hate that move. Like that, I, I think that was a major tipping point for the, the Knicks that now Brooklyn, the Nets, have passed you in the the kind of Q rating or whatever in, in the NBA. So I think that was a wake-up call for the, the New York Knicks, and I think that was very important. Now, they're at a crossroads themselves, but to not have that, or to have that happen to them, I think made them kind of smarten up a little bit. And then Kevin Durant's like, you know what? We need to really load this thing up. Let's get James Harden as well. And let's really go for this thing. And now Kevin Durant has to be looking around after going from one of the great dynastic teams and one of, um, all due respect to all those Bulls teams and to Celtics teams of days gone by and to different Lakers teams. That is one of the most talented NBA teams in the history of the sport. And he goes from that to, like, he, he is walking into Brooklyn when he comes back, like Troy in Community, where he's walking in with the pizzas and Jeff is shirtless waving a on-fire shirt over his head. That's what Kevin Durant is walking back into now. And he has to just be saying, like, what did, what, what, what did I do to deserve this? Because he is... I still think right now the most talented basketball player in the world and to be surrounded with this, all this drama, like he could go and he, he could go down with an injury, come back to a world where there's no Kyrie or James Harden. And he has to just be looking like what, what happened? So I, I feel for Kevin Durant, not a ton because I mean, he, he's had his success, but I, I do think that when you look at the legacy of Kevin Durant, there's going to be a bit held against him because his best years are with an absolute juggernaut team and the, the whole buying a championship thing or whatever. But this was an opportunity for him to be the guy. Like it, it was obvious in Golden State, even though, or I guess I shouldn't say it was obvious. The narrative in Golden State is that Kevin Durant, it, it was 
Steph Curry's team and Kevin Durant was just living in it. Even though KD clearly outplay, uh, outplayed LeBron James in multiple NBA Finals, he still doesn't get the, the respect that I think he deserves. And it's weird that Steph... Um, th that's not hurting Steph's legacy. It's weird that doesn't affect Clay's legacy or anything with that team. It all seems to fall on Kevin Durant. And now this was the chance where, yes, you have a very good supporting cast with Kyrie and with James Harden when they are playing. But this was a chance that he is the best player on a team that has an opportunity to win a championship. I think he was that before, but he doesn't get the, the, the respect I think he deserves. And he probably wouldn't have if Brooklyn went on a run. And now he's got to be looking around. It's like, oh, great. It's me and Claxton. And that's it. it it's... It just, it really feels like Kevin Durant had to sell his soul to go out and, and win those championships in Golden State. As far as the rumors go, if James Harden doesn't want to be in Brooklyn, relationship with Kevin Durant aside, I think that the trading for trading Harden for Ben Simmons makes all the sense in the world. And you hear the rumors that um, Seth Curry needs to be attached to that. If they're able to pull that off, Holy freaking hell. That is, I think, unbelievable and a huge win for Brooklyn. A, when Kyrie is out there, like you, you can basically put, because you are when you're Brooklyn right now, you're, you're piecing together, uh, together two different teams. And so with Kyrie, a lot of the pressure gets taken off Ben Simmons and you have a couple of guys who can shoot. You can even have Simmons at the five, if you want, uh, if you wanted to, to roll out lineups that way, or if you want to go super big, you can put KD at the three, Simmons at the four, and um, still keep Claxton out there. And like those two or those three plus Curry and Kyrie, that's a very good starting five and a, a champ, potentially championship winning starting five. So take some of the pressure off Ben Simmons, but also Kyrie can't play home games, <clears throat> excuse me, as currently, uh, as the rules currently state. So... That, I, I think, kind of satisfies Ben Simmons's desires to still be a point guard. Like, hey, you can you can play point for half of our games. If it works, it can work perfectly. But we have said that about every iteration of this Brooklyn Nets team, that currently their big three have played less games together than LeBron, Westbrook, and AD have. But I, I think that is almost best case scenario out of this Brooklyn situation. Because it is very clear that when James Harden wants out of a situation, he eats his way out of that situation. And uh, like you just, you look at his body type out there right now, and he's just lost interest. And you don't want that. Like th this has the potential to crumble in a, a gigantic way. So as long as everyone's on board with it, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm, I'm shopping James Harden for the highest bidder. And right now it appears that highest bidder could be the Philadelphia 76ers. And then by the way, I think Harden... Um, and Embiid could work very, very well together. And I think that they, they both would take the pressure off of each other enough that it would be a perfect symmetry. That that does feel like a win-win to me. On the trade front of trades that have actually happened so far, you have Ricky Rubio gets sent to the Indiana Pacers along with three draft picks for Karis Levert. I, I have always been a Levert fan, but admittedly, I, I had one foot off the bandwagon for the last little bit. My, my concern is that he is a good stats, bad team kind of a guy, and that is not what Cleveland needs right now. But the best version of Levert helps out Cleveland immensely. And you look at what they are able to have now with Garland, Levert, Mobley, and Jared Allen. It's a pretty good core. And Markin in, in there as well. Love coming off of the bench. You have Sexton eventually or whatever you could get in a potential trade for Sexton. I think is is a very interesting thing if Cleveland wants to, to really do an all-in. 
all of a sudden you look, you look at this Cleveland squad and it's just, it's really, really good. And I, if you can get the best version of Levert and if he can fit into this offense well, if he is fine just being scoring guy, then that's great. But the issue and the reason why he kind of needed to be traded out of, um, out of Brooklyn is it feels like he needs the ball a lot. And th- this team, as they're going right now, I-, I don't think they need to take an, all these touches away from Allen or Mobley or Garland um, or, or anyone else. Like, I, I think Levert kind of needs to fit into a role as just a scorer for this to work. You feel awful for Ricky Rubio, who was going to be back in somewhat of a playoff spotlight. And I, I know it's difficult. Um, that That has to be really difficult for him. So you, you feel bad in that sense. Another takeaway that I have, and it, it's been building for a couple of years, but I think it's it's very clear now. There has never been a bigger divide on opinions of first-round draft picks for teams who are looking to win a championship and for teams who are even just looking to make it into a playoff spot. They have understood for so long, or, or, or they are starting to understand at least, what a lot of us have understood for so long, is that picks at the back end of the first round unless you are like two or three teams, don't necessarily mean a whole lot. And so the value to do, the, the value of a first round pick to teams competing for a playoff spot is so low. And the value of a first round pick for teams that are tanking is as high as it has ever been. They will just, don't give me any players, don't worry about that. Just give me picks, 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 picks. I want to get as many picks as I possibly can, as many lottery tickets as I can. And to a certain extent, I do agree with that. Like, just get as many lottery tickets as you can. Hope that a couple of them pay out, right? Like that, you are definitely just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and hoping that it sticks. The problem, so few of those end up being game changers. And that's what you need to take that step from being a rebuilding team into a contending team. The the Cleveland Cavaliers were kind of dwelling in that area for a little bit. They get lucky with, by getting Mobley, and then they go out and acquire a game changer. And I do think Jared Allen is a game changer. And now they are looking to to push their way through Toronto. You look at the the game changer guys that they have right now. They've been able to like everyone's trying to do what they did. You get Fred Van Vliet, who's undrafted, and Pascal Siakam in the late twenties, and it helps continue a run for a Raptors team that has now been hanging around the the top or at least the playoffs in the Eastern Conference for over half a decade just based off of being able to keep that that run going. So you, you have teams that are seeing what Toronto did where they get a few of those lottery tickets and they end up cashing in, but a lot of times they really don't. But I, I think it's I think it's very interesting that you have teams at the top who are just willing to throw away however many first round picks, because it doesn't matter. Are any of those first round picks gonna end up being better than Karis Levert? Probably not. And you have the teams at the bottom who are just like clinging to every draft pick they can find. I think it's a really interesting dynamic as we head into this uh, final week before the NBA's trade deadline. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X is where the A's would be and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. It is Super Bowl week, and we're going to have a big breakdown of this show, or of this game, sorry, coming up on Friday. But just want to give initial thoughts on the kind of the, the biggest storylines that, that I'm focusing on going into this Super Bowl week between the, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. I think one of the big ones this week is a chance at 
redemption and retribution for Sean McVay. The last time he was in the Super Bowl, quite frankly, the game sucked, but his team sucked. The, the Patriots were ready for everything that that offense was trying to do, and they shut it down at every turn. This is an opportunity now for Sean McVay. Where does he go? Does he stick with the stick with what's worked the entire season? Because now you don't have Jared Goff, you have Matt Stafford. I, I understand that philosophy, but I think there have to be just a couple of tweaks, just enough to keep a, a defense a little bit off balanced. But there's also, you go way too far into that, right? And all, all of a sudden you're running a tight end option on third and one Kansas City Chiefs. Like there's sometimes where you can get too creative for your own good. And Sean McVay seems like an extremely intelligent man. The problem with people who are really smart is sometimes they can outsmart themselves. And I wonder if he might overthink this a little bit. If he doesn't, and if this team ends up being successful, I think he kind of passes Kyle Shanahan on the uh, offensive genius Wonderboy rankings, um, which is very officially named. Because he'll have that championship now. And this is now the second Super Bowl that he has been to. And he will have that trophy to kind of validate, I guess, everything that, that he is able to do. If this becomes another dud, and if this offense is stuck in the mud again, you have to wonder. Uh, not not that the Rams should fire Sean McVay. I think he's doing a phenomenal job, not only with the coaching, but in helping with the, the roster construction as well. But you really have to start to look at... How good is, is this guy just a, a smart offensive coach or is he a smart coach? Because, and this is something I didn't talk about last week that I, I kind of meant to. One of the things that really struck me about the, the championship round is how poorly managed a lot of those games were. Like the, the clock management in the San Francisco Rams game was atrocious. And the, the Bengals against the, the Kansas City Chiefs, we talked about very poor coaching decisions. A lot of these guys, and it's on both sidelines this weekend, have coaches who are very good at designing offenses. And that's wonderful, but that's the job of an offensive coordinator. As far as implementing game plans is concerned, as far as managing the clock in-game and being the head coach in-game, I think both these coaches leave a lot to be desired. And one of them is going to come away with the Lombardi Trophy uh, justifying everything that they have done. And for Sean McVay, he desperately needs that. The other one is I, I'm interested how this week is going to affect the legacy of Matt Stafford. And he is someone who I don't think has shouldered enough of the blame for how things went wrong in Detroit. And that just shows how damaged the Detroit brand is because people are just willing to accept, oh yeah, Detroit sucked. So uh, it wasn't on him. No other first round quarterback in the history of the world has had that kind of leniency. And now... If he wins the Super Bowl, he kind of has a chance to get the resume up to where people believe his talent is and where people believe kind of his resume is already. Like, it, it just, he has a chance to, I think, justify the stature that he has held to in the National Football League. If he doesn't win it this week, I don't think it kills him. But if he has a really bad performance in this game, I, I think that you're going to have a lot of people kind of looking at this a little bit differently because he has not faced the type of scrutiny that other first-round quarterbacks have. If he does then uh, I think that there's there's going to be a lot of flowers for, for Matt Stafford uh, a week from today if the Rams come out and put on a show. And I, to be fair, I think he's been very good in the postseason. I, I don't think that the Rams are in this spot with Jared Goff. I, I think Matthew Stafford has had to make a couple of key throws to get this team into this position. And the, the main, uh, I guess, strategic element of this game that I'm looking at 
it's it's very simple. You're going to hear it a lot this week. But can the Bengals protect Joe Burrow? Are they able to do what they weren't able to do against the Chiefs or the Titans or the Raiders? And that's give Joe Burrow time to do anything. Because it is one thing to slip away from the pass rush of Kansas City. And it's one thing to slip away from the pass rush of the Tennessee Titans. And it's one thing to slip away from Pro Bowl MVP Max Crosby. It's a whole other thing when it's Von Miller and it's Aaron Donald coming right up into your grill. You don't just slip away from that because you have big game experience. Those guys will drive you into the dirt. And Joe Burrow deserves all the credit for being able to get back up every time when he has been popped in the mouth every time. But those are tough guys to get back up against. And so I am, I'm fascinated to see how that battle is going to go and what different ways the Bengals come up with to try to protect their quarterback. Or, because like this, is, this was the story in last year's Super Bowl. You had the Kansas City Chiefs who knew for a couple of weeks they didn't have their entire, or the, the, the full strength of their offensive line. And the adjust, and the, I, I knew that going in and I still picked Kansas City because I thought, give Andy Reid two weeks and he'll figure it out. And the adjustment was, fuck it, we'll do nothing and just hope that uh, Patrick Mahomes is good enough to overcome it. And he wasn't. And that was a very good front seven for Tampa Bay. This is a very good front seven for the LA Rams. And Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow isn't. So I, I would be very concerned from that aspect for the Bengals. I just, I wonder how they're able to get anything going. And they know it's an issue. You saw that they tried to make adjustments around it, but we talked about last week, that adjustment was screen passes, which everyone knew was coming. If you've played Madden for a day, you know that, okay, the other team's getting at the quarterback. Well, let's try a screen pass to try to slow the defense up a little bit. I'm going to need you to come up with a better strategy than something I can do in Madden. If you're going to beat the, maybe the best player in the NFL, Aaron Donald and the LA Rams couple quick notes in the fight game before we head out here on this Monday. Uh, Hakeem Dawadu, welcome back, my guy. He looked good. Man, did he look good. The The punches were crisp. There was power behind everything. He was, it, it is my favorite combination, um, especially at the lighter weight classes. If you are able to land with volume, with power, you don't often get that. You get a lot of pop, 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 pop. Or a lot of boom, but you don't get pop, boom, pop, boom, pop, boom. And he was able to do that. He got tagged a couple of times, which to me shows the level of competition that he was fighting because he is still in there with a good fighter. But I, I thought he controlled things really, really well. And I thought it was really smart utilizing the clinch game a couple of times when the when, when his opponent started to get a little bit comfortable on the feet, just reset things. I'm in control here. I'm dictating how this goes. And then he was able to get that going. I thought he did a great job of staying in a rhythm for the full 15 minutes and kind of taking away the rhythm of his opposition. I thought that was really, really smart. In terms of boxing, Keith Thurman with an impressive performance swelled up the dude's entire face. Doesn't get the knockout as I wondered if he would, but he, he, at, least, he at least gets back into relevancy. Now, Let's see this guy fight again in the summer. Let's not let's not wait another year or 31 months or whatever. Let's get this guy back fighting right away and get this guy back into the title picture. Because as, as much as we were talking about how this was a fight for relevancy for, for Thurman, this was a win that he needed, but now let's continue to get him back into that because this welterweight division is much more exciting 
with him in it. As we get ready for another fight week in the UFC, and this is a big one, Israel Adesanya against Robert Whitaker. It's just a chance to see one of the greats of the sport get back into it. I thought he reached another level um, with his last performance against uh, Vittori, and I, I am so looking forward to what this fight could bring against Robert Whitaker. That's going to do it for the program today. As always, uh, shout out to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. Give the gift of time during the month of February. Call in and book a residential cleaning for someone you love and get 14% off when you call in to 403-274-3998. Mention you are phoning about the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions Valentine's Promotion. You can find me Twitter and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. The music that you're listening to, provided by Wasted Talent and their producer, Tommy Fresh. Find him on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. The other podcast that I'm on, General History Podcast, we had no idea. You got a bonus episode from it on this feed last week. We are back at it this Wednesday and every Wednesday. Find that podcast where you found this one. And also on Instagram, we had no idea podcast is where you can find that. It is going to be a very busy week for me. I am now off to the mountains, uh, so no Twitch coming up on on Tuesday, but we're going to try to be very active on that going forward. have a lot planned for that now that we got that affiliate status, baby. Uh, so tune in for that. Coming up on Wednesday's show, it is one of my favorite shows to do. I hope you guys like it. It is How Were They Built? We examine how these championship teams assembled their roster, and we see what we can learn from that from a team building standpoint. And then Friday coming up, we got UFC preview show, Super Bowl preview show with all the prop bets and everything involved in that. So it's going to be a fun one, and I will talk to all of y'all later this week. I'm out.